Today on Talking Sports with Tony V, where they once owned the division, the 21 Seattle Seahawks were the only team in the NFC West not to make the playoffs. Was it poor performance or just the result of unfortunate key injuries? That's just one of the questions we'll ask our special guest, Bob Condota, who covers the Seahawks for the Seattle Times. That's coming up on Talking Sports with Tony V. Hey, everybody. Welcome back with Tony V, Bob Condota, our guest on the line. And Bob, welcome. Thanks for taking time. Dude, it's been a season. You haven't had a lot of time off. I hope you're getting a break. Is that the case right now? Um, yeah, I, it's always hard to get too much of one. But, uh, you know, they just got they just got done this week finishing out their coaching staff and making the announcements of that. So, there was, you know, there's been some news to follow the last few weeks with the coaching staff and, you know, replacing Ken Norton Jr. and things like that. And, and uh, you know, and then things kick back up with the real heart of the heart of the offseason here uh, really quickly with the combine and free agency starting um, the second week of March and uh, third week of March, I guess, basically. And, uh, you know, and then the draft in April. So the, the NFL has, has done a really good job of creating schedule, which things never really completely end and, and keeping the interest of fans alive all, all year long, really. They've been great at that. They've been great at that for at least two decades and maybe before that, especially when there's a hitch in the baseball season. Uh, they don't mean to take advantage of it, but they certainly do by being in the news at all times and by forcing talk show hosts who have to do this every single day, not like me, uh, to talk about the Seahawks because, frankly, there's not much else going on. Uh, however, I do want to uh, jump in on... This, I, I ran across a picture the other day, Bob, of myself walking out of the hotel in Minneapolis. I believe it was the first year of the new stadium, and I believe it was the last time the Seahawks uh, won a postseason game. It was, the, it was the early in 2016, 21 below zero in Minneapolis. Do you recall that? You must have been there for that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll correct you slightly. They, they've won a couple of playoff games since then, but, but, but you're uh, – um, you know, they beat Philadelphia a couple years ago and right. beat uh, and beat Detroit. But yeah, um, no, for sure. I, that was a, that was an unbelievable game. I mean, that was, uh, um, you know, that was sort of that was the year after they had gone to the Super Bowl for the second straight time, if I recall right. And, um, you know, sort of had a had a little bit of a stumble into the, the 2015 season and then really had the great run. I think people forget how well they played down the stretch that year. But uh, because Arizona had gotten off to a better start, Seattle had to go on the road and and end up in that game in Minnesota. And, and uh, yeah, the, in, in Minnesota, anyway, the infamous Blair Walsh was in the 27-yard field goal right yeah. at the end. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the Seahawks let, you know, that probably obscures a little bit, the Seahawks letting um, Teddy Bridgewater complete a couple passes to get Minnesota into field goal position there. It looked like the Seahawks had it, you know, uh, pretty well in hand, not well in hand, but, you know, in, in good position to win it. Yeah. Um, right before that. And then they, and then, you know, kind of despite all odds, because Minnesota had been doing almost nothing all day long, they, they did make a couple plays to get down there in position for the field goal. And, you know, that would have gone down as one of the most disappointing losses in Seahawks history. I think if, if Walsh had, if Walsh had hit that field goal. Yeah. 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 Well, that would have been, that would have been tough, especially on top of the, the previous Super Bowl uh, coming off of that loss in Arizona. Um, but I, yeah, I recall that one, and you're right. I, I, I sort of slipped my mind that they'd won a couple of playoff games since then. It may have slipped a lot of minds because people were disappointed this year. And I know that uh, our old friend Richard Sherman, 
on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, kind of went after the fans and, and called people spoiled and, and you know, uh, they, they believe they should win every year. And, hey, what the heck, he's partially right, but then the fans, what are you going to do? You yell at a fan for expecting his team to win? I don't think so. So let me ask you this. The changes in uh, on defense with Clint Hurts coming in there, uh, he certainly is qualified, very aggressive coach. Why would he do better in your, in your view, we don't know this yet, than, um, you know, than Ken Norton Jr. What's, why is there an improvement here? Well, I think it's the totality of the moves they made. That, that's probably the more, the more contextual way to look at this. And, you know, they hired Clint Hurt, but then they also hired a guy named Sean Desai, who's going to, he's going to, uh, his official title is going to be associate um, head coach of the defense, but that's kind of a way to, you know, to get, to give him a title and give him a lot of responsibility. And then also brought in a guy named Carl Scott. He's going to be their defensive passing game coordinator. And what they liked about um, Hurt and Desai um is that, that you know they each have uh, some su- substantial experience working with the, the kind of the big Fangio defense, which has really become all the rage. The same thing that the, the Rams started doing a couple of years ago that, that the Chargers did this year with Brandon Staley. There's a couple other uh, kind of practitioners of it, and it, it, it's a little bit of a switch up from what Pete Carroll has always done. Um, you know, a little more three-four with with kind of a, a too high safety look instead of kind of just the cover three that the Seahawks ran for so long and have run for so long under Pete and, and have obviously really run well for for much of it. But I think um, I think given the kind of the change in the personnel they have and especially with a guy like Jamal Adams, which is who isn't really a traditional safety, I think they feel like they need some better ways or some different ways anyway of looking at what they do defensively. So I think I think it's more that you know they really did kind of change up a lot of things. Well, with their defensive coaching staff, um, you know, by getting rid of both Ken Norton Jr. and Andre Curtis and, uh, and kind of going at it that way. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, I, I've, uh, you know, Clint talked about being more aggressive. I've, I've covered a lot of coordinator, defensive coordinator coaching changes. Every single one has always said they're going to be more aggressive when they take over <laughs> because they know that's what fans like to hear. Fans sure. always want to hear that you're going to be more aggressive. And they all know that. And they all know they can say it and then kind of, you know, whatever happens later is whatever happens. And, uh, uh, you know, so we'll see if that really comes into being, you know, if they're if they're really able to be more aggressive or whatever. But I, I think it's more there's some subtle things in how they play their guys um, that I think they wanted, you know, I think just like he did last year, Pete, Pete Carroll did with the offensive staff when he brought in two guys from the Rams, you know, this year he's bringing in two guys with knowledge of a, of a specific defensive system that um, I think he wants to implement some of and what he's doing and hopefully improve what they're doing. So if you, if you had to choose between the two, is it the placement of current talent like Jamal Adams uh, using him in a different way, a variety of ways, or the fact that, that more talent in specific positions is needed. Uh, and I, I'm guessing it's a combination of the two would be the safe answer on that one. Yeah. I, you know, they certainly, I think need to um, beef up their pass rush uh, talent wise. I think that's the one spot you would look at and say they need to get a little bit better there. You know, I think they found some, and they definitely had talent issues in the secondary when this year began in part, just because they didn't, you know, they were sort of, um, just changing everything constantly. You know, they didn't have just the same four guys to throw out there, especially obviously just at the quarterback spots. Um, and, you know, and then they did have some injuries, obviously, but, you know, they, they, 
they started kind of training camp with one one thing, then completely changed it. The week the season began, they changed it again three weeks after the season. They just didn't have much continuity there, and I think that led. Uh, I think that's restricted what they did schematically and play calling wise a little bit. So I think if you don't really trust your corners, you're not going to do a whole lot of of being aggressive up front because you don't want to leave those guys on an island. I think if they have if they're better there in the back end this year, which is I think what you saw at the end of this year, I think they have some decent talent on, on the defensive line. But I think that if, if there's one thing I would really point to is, is something to maybe go attack in free agency, it would be that it would be would be uh, you know getting a getting another pass rusher to really add to that. But that's easier said than done. That there's probably 30 teams that want to do sure. that. And there's only so many pass rushers out there. And, you know, that we've seen this every year. The Seahawks get into free agency. And people think they're going to swing big and, and whatever and try to get this guy and that guy. And, you know, we usually don't see them spend a lot of money, a lot of money on outside free agents. So I, I, I don't know if the Seahawks are going to try to do, you know, going to do that again this year. They have, they appear to have some flexibility, but they also have to save some money for, um, you know, if they just re-sign all their own guys, that might take up most of their money. You know, if they re- if they re-sign Quandre Diggs and DJ Reed, and um, you know, and then save some money for, them, they're going to have to re-sign DK Metcalf probably um, before the year begins. Um, you know, they got some things like that that they'll have to do that, uh, you know, could take up an awful lot of that money. But I think that's the one thing they'd really be looking to do yeah. is add is add a pass rusher. Yeah, yeah, well, it makes sense. And yeah, there's so much that goes on in the off season that, of course, people don't see. Although people do seem to follow this team closer than uh, than I recall, you know, a couple of decades ago when once this one season ended, the next season began. This does go on all the time, and I think it, there is keen interest in the fact that the Seahawks have such a winning schedule and they've got so many people involved and 50,000 people waiting for season tickets, and it just doesn't seem to go away. Let me ask you this question, and it's, it's sort of hypothetical, but, you know, a lot of people got through with this season at 7-10, and 10 and they're kind of thinking, wow, this was just no fun at all. Could, could a broken finger, had a broken finger made that much of a difference, made a three-game difference, they would have been 10-7. and seven. And there was a 10-7 and seven team, if I recall, that went to the Super Bowl. So, think, I mean, there's a fine line between success and failure. Is there not, Bob? Oh, for sure. And, you know, and they, they lost the five games by three points or less as well. And, and that's something, you know, we, we, we had seen them be so successful in um, in close games in previous years. And, you know, a lot of people always say that's, you know, that's as much luck as it can be anything else, just winning a whole bunch of close games. And maybe they were due for sort of a regression to the means there. Obviously, they had some kicking you know, had a couple of games where where uh, Jason Myers, who hadn't missed a field goal the year before, had a couple of had a couple of misses that really played key roles, and um, you know, so just some things like that 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 happen. And you're right that that in the NFL, the margin the margin really is so so thin. I think you saw that with both Super Bowl teams. Both Super Bowl teams were teams that um, you know were a game or two away from not even making the playoffs, and then there they are, each in the Super Bowl. And so I, I think there's definitely there there can definitely be an over over analysis a little bit of that of just being oh they just got to do what the rams did when it's like well the rams did what they did but you're right they had you know as a lot of people pointed out the rams really didn't have very many significant injuries to really key players at all they did have one but to, to, to robert woods who they then were able to basically completely complete um uh, kind of replace. unlikely uh, replace at midseason by getting odell beckham which isn't the kind of thing you usually necessarily could do but uh um, you know, otherwise, you know, there a lot of their key guys are able to stay healthy, and uh, th- that is a really big deal. And it's really nothing you can do anything about. You know, eventually, some sometimes injuries do happen, and so, yeah, so for sure, in the case of Russell, I mean, it's not just the three games he missed, but 
you know, I don't think he was really his, his self for the, uh, for the next two or three games after that. And that was really the stretch of the season where it got away from him. Yeah, that's true. Really. It was more six than it was three games. You're, you're right. A couple of quick questions before we let you go, Bob, we appreciate, always appreciate your time. Um, you would cover the Rams issue. I was going to say, is it time to just reboot like they did? And it's easier said than done because you got to find the people and then make the deals and all that with the draft coming up uh, uh, 28th to the 30th of April. What uh, and just to re- refresh my memory on the picks that the Seahawks have, they traded the f- top two for the next couple of years. There's no first round pick again. Am I right about that? Yeah, no first round pick. They do have a second round pick, so they'll, they'll pick at number 41. Um, they have six picks spread throughout throughout the draft. Um, they're they're not going to get any compensatory picks, so you know the six is what they'd have at the moment. Um, but you know, 41, 41 is probably early enough to. Uh, it, this would feel like another year when they would probably, you know, last year they, they were, they seemed pretty content to just take the picks they have and not make, not make too many moves. Obviously ended up with just with just the three draft picks. I think this might be a year um, where maybe they do a little bit of maneuvering and try to get another couple extra picks there because, you know, they may not feel like there's a whole lot of difference. So that's, it's kind of been one of their philosophies is that, you know, two picks in the sixties are as good as one pick in the forties kind of thing, because, you know, there's not that much difference between the talent. You'd you'd rather uh, get a couple of guys instead of just one. And you kind of increase your odds that you're going to hit there. So, you know, maybe this is another year they try to do that and load up on some, but um, you know, they have, and uh, until the compensatory picks come out, it's hard to say exactly what it is, but they basically have four picks from, uh, you know, from 41 to, to about the early one hundreds. And again, the, the full order is not set yet, but, um, but they'll have, so they'll have some ability there. You know, they're not going to do anything on the first day of the draft, but they'll have some ability on that on day two to, to make some moves and maybe, and maybe really do some things if there's some guys there that they want. All right. It sounds good. It's always uh, yeah, a bit of a crapshoot what's going to happen between now and then, but it's uh, we're keeping interest in that NFL for 12 months out of the year, right up through till uh, mini camps open one. Hey, here's a question. that's totally out of left field. Uh, you remember, you remember Jim Mora because he had coached. He had that that couple of years with Atlanta. He came here in '09, and and was fired after one season. Now Jim Mora coaching the Huskies of another kind, the University of Connecticut, uh, head coach, and he's got a huge uh, PR thing going on there. They got a big camp coming up in April. What do you see as his future? I think he can succeed there because it's pretty much small college ball. Uh, if he does succeed. Are we looking at him trying to make a comeback, or what's what's the story? Have you followed him at all? Yeah, well, I, I don't know how small college I'd say UConn is. I mean, they, they were in what the Fiesta Bowl about ten years ago. That's true. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, they can you know they can they can play at a pretty high level. I think they have pretty high expectations there. Um, you know, I think with how I, I I don't know exactly how old Jim is, but I know he's basically my age because he was in college the same time I am. So I, you know, I don't know that if he's necessarily looking at a stepping stone kind of job right now, I think he, you know, he might be looking at just, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good job that, you know, they've really had some trouble at UConn the last few years. Uh, They had some things happen there. And um, I I think it's a, it's a program that has had, that has been successful that is in a real downtime right now. So I think he feels like maybe it's a good time to take a place like that over where there is sort of a commitment to football and they can, uh, they can do some things, but they're, they've been so far down of late that, uh, you know, you can come in and look pretty good there. Um, so I, I never rule out anything, you know, that, that you might want to, uh, that, that maybe he would, he would want to move on, but I, 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 I don't have any knowledge of it at all, but other than I, I just, my sense is that he would, uh, he would, um, 
um, you know, kind of just be looking at this as a job that he wants to uh, just thinks is a good job for the now and a take. And yeah, looking at it, it's 2010. They made the Fiesta Bowl and, and lost to Oklahoma there. So you know, they, they've they've uh, they've been in some high profile games not too not too recently. Well, I know they put a lot of money in the program, and uh, uh, I think he he's perfect for that program. He's kind of a hype guy anyway. There's, they got pretty good talent in the high schools back in uh, in New England they can draw from beyond New England obviously too so I, I do wish him well besides my entire family went to UConn uh, and so that <laughs> kind of a soft spot and worst comes to worst he gets free tickets to the women's basketball games so uh, <laughs> and they may win a championship this year all right well hey Bob I appreciate your being on with us again I have a have a good time learn all you can at the combine which is I'm guessing still in Indianapolis correct it is for one more year. Uh, you know, that's actually going to be a big story is that the NFL is uh, talking about moving it around. And a lot of people aren't necessarily happy about that. The, the, the teams and I think really like it being there. Uh, if you've ever been to it, it's it, how they, they have a setup there. that's really convenient for everybody. Um, so even if Indianapolis isn't, you know, maybe the garden spot of the world in February and March, um, but it's really convenient for how they, how they do the combine and, and uh, NFL coaches and stuff or creatures of habit. You know, they want to just go there and do their work. They don't really care about where it is, but, um, but uh, the NFL is, you know, they want to try to maximize the um, kind of a uh, fan attractiveness and whatever of everything. And so I think, uh, I think this, it might be moving around, but oh, it is boy. in Indianapolis again for this year. Well, listen, I, I just hope that Bob's big boy restaurants are still open. I don't know if it's been a few years since I've been to Indy, but uh, have a great time down there and appreciate the, the, uh, the visit again, Bob, it's great to hear from you and uh, good luck the rest of this off season, which will then uh, move into the on season before we know it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Tony. Okay, Bob. Take care. Okay. All right, Bob Condota joining us from the Seattle Times. And, yeah, just to go over that schedule one more time, you've got your, uh, let's see, NFL Combine, March 1st to the 7th. And then on down the road, you got your, your legal tampering from the 14th to the 16th. Free agents can talk with other teams. Uh, Russell Wilson bonus. Deadline is the 21st of March. Off-season program starts on the 18th of April. And the draft uh, is the 28th to the 30th. Thanks to Bob Condota for bringing us up to date on the Seattle Seahawks 2022 and 2022 upcoming season. And we are going to wrap it up for now because football, even though they try to go all year long, let's face it, the games aren't on, so our interest turns to baseball. And so we're going to start figuring out a way to get the players to come back to work. That's it for this edition of Talking Sports with Tony V. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.